You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Brave new radio. We got managers, producers, record labels, concert promoters galore. Wednesday at 8 p.m. I'm your professor, David Kirk, along with Dr. Esteban. Marconi Emeritus. That's right. Emeritus Marconi. Um, you may call him Meredith Marconi if you want. Yeah. Along with him, we have with us Christine Welsh, who is an MBA student who practically has her MBA, except uh, she just needs to do this interview, and then she has one more, and then she's got her MBA, Dr. Esteban. Ain't that cool? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Fine. Yes, so we should, uh, Dr. Esteban, we should give thanks, should we not? Yes. We will give thanks. We want to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent and Kiss. There's only one place, Uno, Uno Radio to go for your band's business management. And you're going to go to VB, CPA.com when you're ready. And... We want to give thanks to not Christine Welsh, although thank you, Christine Welsh, but Christine Bay, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. That Christine has helped many professionals at William Patterson and at universities and businesses all over the world manage their investments, plan out for the retirement. When somebody like you is thinking of building a bridge to your financial future, think about the Forefront Group. That's an F-O-U-R, Front Group, and go to christine.oyvey at Forefront.com. Leave the last oil off for savings. Make sure you go to musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for that newsletter so you know when we're doing interviews and so you know to go to our podcast page. Go to iTunes, SoundCloud. You're listening to this probably there. You also may be listening to us on the radio. So hi. Also follow us on the Instagram, the Twitch, or the Facebook at musicbiz101wp. I'm on LinkedIn and David Philp, and let's see, we are ranked one of the best programs in the history of the world, music business program. Is this not true, Dr. Esteban? Yes, it is true, the history of the world. In the history of the world. The music business education world. Yes, 
and it's a very large world. And Bill, a guy named Bill, Bill Board, has recommended us and said that we're one of the best ever three years in a row, four out of six years. And again, as we like to say in the World Series, if we're batting 660, we're the MVP. Correct. With that in mind, Christine, I believe our guest, Mark Glazer, is here. We don't see him, but I know he's here. Mark, can you hear us? I can hear you, and now I can see you. I had my video off as I was walking through my office. Oh, that's good. Okay. And now thank you for also putting on clothing before you put the video on. Yeah, I think it's much better. Well, you can only see me from waist up. You don't know what I'm wearing below. <laughs> that's right. You don't know. Um, I'm, uh, I am wearing underpants today, but you guys just can't see the right. size and scope. All right, so doc, uh, Dr. Christine, I should tell listeners, so Christine put this together. It's for a Nashville summer class that we have in which normally we go to Nashville. We aren't in Nashville because of the cancellation because of COVID. So we decided to do this Nashville class online. So Christine hooked up with uh, Mark as part of our um, requirement that MBA students need to get two interviews to talk to for our radio show. She got Mark and... She's going to take over in three, two, one. Ready? Three, two, one. Hi, Mark. Good morning. Right. Good afternoon, I guess you should say. It's morning where I am, but afternoon where you are. So, wow. hello. Yeah, Mark is coming to us from Denver. Okay. Nice. Great. So, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Mark. Um, he's the Senior Vice President of Operations at Contemporary Services Corporation. He has been with the company for over 33 years and started with them while attending the University of North Northern Colorado. Um, he has been instrumental in coordinating security for papal visits, Olympics, multiple Super Bowls, as well as other all-star games, and many, many large music festivals. Mark uh, has also been involved with facilitating many best practices policies for crowd management in security and crowd management at large venue management. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Christine. Thank you for that uh, introduction. Appreciate that. Uh, this uh, sounds like a very interesting class and dynamic that uh, you're uh, participating in. So I'm, I'm very appreciative of having the opportunity to, to talk about CSE and myself for today. Mostly CSE. Uh, you don't want to hear anything about me because I'm just a cog in the wheel of a big machine that, that generates things. But uh, CSE has been around since, since 1967. <clears throat> Our original owner, Damon Zumwalt, is a founder of CSE. Um, still is actively involved with our company. And myself, I've uh, been involved with CSE for 33 years beginning when I was a student at uh, University of Northern Colorado, as you laid out, working down in the trenches, walking into uh, uh, the environment of, of crowd management as it was in, in the late 80s. Uh, been able to participate in a lot of really cool events, um, make, meet some great people, uh, not only within our organization, but also venue managers and venue producers, uh, promoters, band members, uh, athletes, uh, politicians, um, movie stars, celebrities, and ordinary everyday people. Uh, the biggest thing I like about my job is the people. The thing that is the biggest challenge about my job is the people. Uh, not only in the, the environment in which we provide services, but also just the work environment. Uh, you deal with di a dynamic of different personalities from everything we do, which is a, uh, a cross-section of life. And you got to know how to balance those things and how to uh, really uh, understand what, what the objective is how you apply yourself when you're out there working, uh, how you get others involved in what you're doing to, to remain focused and, and uh, have a good idea of what the end objective is so that people can, can get the best of what they're, what they're to, uh, to partake in, whether it's a concert, whether it's a sporting event, whether it's a festival, a convention. Uh, our job is to make sure that the, the environment is safe, 
but also that it's fun. And there's always a difficult balance and a gray line area that you have to, to balance of uh, providing a, a, a professional security service while understanding the needs of the guest services pieces and being able to say no with a smile on your face and not say no, but understand the objective is to, to keep the, the, the crowd safe, keep ourselves safe. So at the end of the day, we want our crowd to be safe. We want our guests to be safe. We want our staff to be safe. We want the performers and people on the stage or in the, in the focus to, to be safe and have a joyful experience. So CSC, we've uh, uh, initially started as a company called Peace Power and uh, understanding that we got to remain contemporary and dynamic with the changes in the world and the changes of the, the guest needs. Uh, Damon changed the name to Contemporary Services in 1972 to again to make contemporary with what the industry brought. So in that time, um, we've had to change our, our model and modify our model uh, from 1967 to present day and even from what our really model was in January to what it is now uh, based upon the current environment of uh, COVID and the, the dynamics that go along with that and the gathering of people. Uh, we've had to modify our delivery and how we approach things with our, our guests and in the event world, our training, our delivery, our oversight, our operations, and all the things that go along with it. Uh, we have to remain contemporary in what we do, and that's what our main objective. So well, with that being said, that's a, a very broad overview of contemporary service and who we are. Uh, some things that, that we've uh, done, like I mentioned, sporting events, uh, live music events, festivals, conventions, uh, gatherings, political events. I've been very fortunate in my time, as Christine kind of uh, over, gave an overview there, participating in multiple uh, Olympic Games, Winter Olympics, Salt Lake and Vancouver, in a, a, a very integrated piece. A number of Super Bowls, um, Pro Bowls, college bowl games, uh, NBA Finals, Final Four, uh, Major League Baseball Finals, soccer, uh, a lot of concerts. Worked very closely with a couple tour groups, uh, U2, Guns N' Roses, um, Rolling Stones over my 33-year career. I've really enjoyed working with everybody that I've uh, become in contact with. Uh, there's some anomalies once in a while, because I guess, uh, like I said, you, you deal with personalities. But there's some anomalies once in a while where you, you kind of shake your head and ask what people are thinking. But on the other side of the, the coin, they might be shaking their head and looking at me and saying, what are you thinking? Why do we got to do these things? You know, the music industry is a, is a, a challenging one. The event industry in general is a challenging one. Um, when you have things like COVID come about, um, you have to make modifications, as I mentioned. You know, 9-11, while that was almost uh, 20 years ago, and immediately following that, there was a change in the way that we Meet our, meet our guests and provide a safe environment. And that continues to evolve through technology and through delivery of operations through our staffing, uh, through our briefings and through our training, the oversight and the modification during the course of the, the event on how to, to again, accommodate the guests, make them safe, feel safe without a lot of inconvenience. Uh, whether the, whatever the inconvenience is, we, we try and make it to where it's little, uh, but it's uh, for, the, for the safety of everybody. So as technology evolves, we continue to, to uh, ad adapt and remain contemporary with what the needs are. Um, just like the music industry remains contemporary, like today, you're seeing these drive-in uh, concerts where uh, band members and, and uh, individuals are putting on these drive-in concerts where you can go to a, a large area, parking lot, a stadium, a park, and a performer performs his, uh, his or her act on stage and you watch from the car. So you go back to our childhood, uh, when we used to go to the drive-in movies and watch movies from our car, now we're, we're adapting and watching concerts from our car. And it'd be interesting to see if, how much of that um, model stays around after the, the COVID um, pandemic subsides and there's a, uh, a treatment for that. It'd be interesting to see how that continues to evolve and, and uh, remain as an option. I mentioned 9-11 and the changes that we had to adapt with the screening process, 
you know, initially uh, you went through uh, the pat down searches and we use hand ones, which were uh, somewhat effective. And now you don't go to many events or, or um, locations now, public assemblies, without going through a walking metal detector in order to detect harmful devices. And even when those things were originally developed, uh, they've been modified and they've changed it to adapt with what the needs are and what people bring to the facilities and what they can't bring. So we continue to, to change to those things, uh, uh, what the, the needs are. Some of my more favorite events, um, as I said, the Olympics, um, the Army-Navy football game every year is just a, a great event. Uh, we'll talk about it, just a, a very classic, engaging event, you know, showing the human spirit, the, the American spirit. Uh, it's just a, a real spectacle of uh, good sportsmanship. At the end of the day, uh, the, two, uh, the two academies come together, shake hands, uh, sing each other's uh, fight song and all the modern song. They gather, they appreciate what they're out there for. Uh, those are some of my more favorite events. Um, golf, I like golf, not only personally, but I like to go to the golf events themselves. Uh, very, you're, you're outside, number one, in an environment where people are fluid, they're walking around, they're enjoying the experience. Uh, hopefully it's not a rainy or stormy day that you can take in the full day of uh, golf, all 18 holes, and then some. So golf is always a fun event. Challenging events, uh, sometimes with these stadium concerts, with music, uh, you know, the, the, the large-scale music events that bring in 50, 60, 80, 100,000 people into the stadium. And here you got to balance the, the need and adapt the need of what that stadium might normally host, which could be a football game, and now all of a sudden you're, you're piling in 110, 120% um, of your normal capacity into that facility because of the way it's laid out. You've got to make an adjustment of these guests come to a facility that they may or may not ever been to before, having to adapt to policies and procedures that they may not be used to, you know, going to a setting that is enjoyable yet different. So but those can be a little bit of a challenge. It takes a lot of planning, execution, and coordination between all parties, promoter, venue operator, public safety, our, uh, our services, uh, expand into um, parking, concessions, uh, cleaning, everybody, anybody, everybody that's involved has to look at this thing as a team effort and reflect on how they're gonna to work together in order to make it an enjoyable and safe experience. So uh, with that, I've kind of rambled on here a little bit. Um, uh, I'm certainly welcome to ask uh, for some questions or elaborate anything I talked about there. So uh, I am a bit of a talker. I could sit here and talk the whole hour and, and probably not repeat myself, maybe I would, but I enjoy talking about the, the experience. I enjoy talking about the, the business I'm in. Uh, I, I still have the same excitement today 33 years later than I did the day one in a different way. Um, you know, one of my first events I worked was U2 uh, at Mandico Sports Arena, an arena that's not even around in, uh, anymore. And uh, it was just, it was so um, electric uh, that the, the fans just kept on applauding and, and encore and encore and encore. And, and before you knew it, I thought they're gonna have to shut the power off to that part of the city to get everybody to go home. But uh, enjoy that same excitement, dealing with the people and the events uh, as, I, as I did 33 years ago, just in a little bit different way. So uh, with that, I'll, uh, I'll be quiet for a moment and, and listen for some questions and, and uh, see if we can continue to have a good dialogue. Okay, so can like a large festival event, can you walk us through like the planning stages, what happens like the day of, what happens after, and how it involves the uh, artists and other things like that? Yeah, good, great question. And uh, happy to talk about that. And, and a big event that we do, a festival event, will be uh, the Coachella Music Festival in Indio, California every uh, spring. Uh, due to the health reasons, they postponed it till this fall. But that is, uh, it's really three weekends. It's two weekends of uh, really pop mainstream music, followed by a third weekend of, of country music. 
And it's a three-day music festival, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, three weekends in a row on the Indio Polo Grounds. And we really start planning for that thing with the promoter after the conclusion of the previous year. So for this year's um, Coachella Stagecoach event, which was going to be in April, we started working with the promoter last May, June um, of 2019 for the 2020 event. And we build up to it by having the meetings, like with all those uh, groups that I mentioned before, property owner, promoter, uh, public safety, uh, ticketing, um, you know, anybody that, that would be involved. We start meeting with them and talking about the, the uh, crowds, what the expected attendance is going to be, where they're going to park, where they're going to enter the facility, uh, how we're, what type of screening is going to take place, uh, the type of ticketing. There they use an RFID wristband that's non-transferable which is a great idea, especially for a festival where you have participants that uh, stay for multiple days. Instead of scanning individual tickets and transferring tickets, they have a, a great system for the wristbanding. Uh, we talked about the searches. We, we, we actually stay on site. Uh, Indio is in the desert of, of California near Palm Springs and 29 Palms Marine Base. And it is a, a small city that becomes a large city for the month of April when you put in 50, 60,000 people on these polo grounds for three three days in a row, three weekends in a row. Um, there's a lot of camping, on-site camping for the guests as well as our staff. So we work with a promoter and, and uh, the event operator and we, uh, they provide to us a campground and we set up portable showers, uh, portable meal stations, uh, tents by tents, cots, sleeping bags, toiletries, food for, for you know, three, four or five meals a day based upon how, what, what shifts you're working because it is a 24 hour uh, day coverage. And we work with them and we can gradually build up to what the need is. Uh, for Coachella, uh, for example, uh, there are multiple entities that provide the event security. On our end, we provide up to 800 people per day for those three days, for three weekends in a row. That consists of the vehicle screening coming to the parking areas, into the camping areas, uh, screening going into the camping area itself, screening going into the uh, festival area as well as uh, some traffic control support and other, other uh, deliveries. So it's a great buildup. We rely on our local teams in uh, San Bernardino, Orange County, uh, Los Angeles. San Bernardino taking the lead on this festival to coordinate all the needs. Support from, with staffing from the other locations just mentioned, in addition to Las Vegas, Phoenix if needed, and um, as far north as Fresno and San Francisco. So there's a, there's a, a big need. Uh, while that festival was going on, we saw other events in Anaheim, for example, Angels uh, playing, so we have to staff those events. Could be events at uh, San Bernardino County Branch, Los Angeles, and all these other locations that you can't just pull all your resources from those individual branches to support this event. So it takes a great team effort. Uh, we start scheduling uh, our staff for this event about a month and a half out, and we start conducting internal conference calls uh, three months prior every two weeks to review the logistics, the staffing, manager needs, um, everything that goes along with, uh, with providing the appropriate staffing for this event. We pull in managers, experienced managers from other branches across the U.S. to support the need. Uh, managers that have a vast, vast amount of wealth uh, and knowledge in the industry that can come out and, and lead our, 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 our teams, uh, know how to work concurrently and conducively with the other entities, uh, primarily the client, and uh, make sure it's a good balance. So things like uh, festivals, as I just mentioned, they're time intensive, they're labor intensive, and you got to remain focused. And for as many years we've been providing services to that event, I'm going to say probably close to 20 years now. Uh, each year is a little bit more dynamic and engaging, so you have to start your planning early and, and remain flexible in what the needs are. And you have other events, such as our Major League Baseball, football, at all levels, that uh, 
you would think that once you get one game under your belt, that they're all the same, and they're not. Uh, you have, the again, the changes of the, the crowd uh, based upon opponent, changes in the crowd based upon day of the week or time of day, you know, how the team might be doing, how that crowd is going to dictate what, what takes place on or off the field or on the court or on the field of play, as we like to say. So even though you have, let's say, an NFL season, 10 games long, eight regular season games, and they may all be on Sunday at a, a 2 p.m. slot, based upon who that opponent is, how your team is playing, the time of year, and the weather, all make a can all have a factor in what you do and how you deliver. So as you might imagine, if you're going to an NFL football game in August or even September, it's going to be, let's say, uh, in uh, – in New Jersey at the at MetLife Stadium, you're going to a, a Jets game on on the first Sunday, and it's hot and, and sunny. And the next Sunday, the Giants are playing. And it's cold and windy. And the next Sunday, the Jets are playing again, and it's wet and uh, early. Well, then you got three different dynamics of crowd that you have to to be accustomed to, and you have to to modify your technique and your delivery. So there's a lot of different things there that that go on that you have to to balance leading up to the event, and then even changes during the course of the day. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, then you're planning, um, let's say, let's use the, the football as an example. So, I uh, believe you're having a, a big meeting with everybody a couple hours before the first cars are driving in. So, you can say, okay, it's, weather's good now, but probably around halftime, um, we're supposed to get a drop of temperature 20 degrees, going to get windy, it's going to get rainy. So, keep on your toes and go to plan B or whatever. Is that kind of what you guys do? Yeah, that's a, a great overview. Um, our planning, even for a football game, as I mentioned, you might do, you have 10 in a row, football games are 10 in one season. We have uh, meetings with the client and the, all the uh, partners the week before the game to talk about specific things like that, by like the weather forecast, whether there's uh, promotional items getting given away, hot areas, problem areas in certain locations. So during the course of the event, the command posts will track incidents and we have trending, we do trending analysis. So if we have a high concentration or, or anomaly of activity, uh, incidents, whatever it might be, whether it's uh, violence or trip and falls or spills or, or medical or whatever it is in a certain area, a certain section at a certain time during the game, we'll tr- do trending analysis and we'll deploy additional resources, either medical, event security, uh, law enforcement to those areas in order to be proactive and watch for those incidents so they don't occur, don't, don't inconvenience the others. So we do a, a review in a meeting with the all the parties prior to the week of. And then we'll follow that up in the internal meeting with our event managers and our supervisors uh, that week leading up to that football game that would normally be on a Saturday or Sunday, whether it's college or football or NFL, whatever this game might be in this in this scenario. So we'll do a meeting with them and review all the things that we talked about with the client on that Tuesday or Wednesday and say, okay, here's going to be giveaways at this game. Uh, expect cooler weather. So people are going to bring more blankets or more outer garments. Uh, They might bring more bags and stuff their bags full of uh, blankets, hats, gloves, whatever it is. So it's going to take longer on the search. As well as our staff are going to come uh, a little bit more layered, which is going to make it a little bit more difficult for them to to be uh, maneuvering, particularly at the gates, if they're dressed in layers. And then as the day goes on and the the time ticks away, it might get warmer and sunny and then we'll have to start shedding those layers. So we prepare our, our event managers, our area directors, and our supervisors for all the things that we talked about at the event. Then the day of the event, we do uh, another specific briefing. Uh, Our event manager will do a specific briefing with the uh, area directors I just mentioned, the supervisors, and a general briefing with the staff to to review the day's events and then uh, deploy the staff with the supervisors and area directors to their work location. So when they get to their work location, uh, they do a job role briefing specific to what the job role is. If you're at the gates, how to, a reminder of how you do the 
screening for the bags for the persons, check credentials. If you're working at a, an access control point, how we're checking credentials, uh, changes specific uh, one-day uh, credentials for that area, such as a pregame activity, a halftime activity, a recognition on the field for a pregame ball or whatever it might be. And then we monitor those situations during the course of the event. So while you have the best laid plan laid out there, there's always changes, uh, such as a, a, you could lose power to your ticket scanners at a certain gate. And instead of using your, electrics, your, your electronic technology to scan tickets, now you got to go back to the old-fashioned method of reading the tickets and stubbing the ticket and scanning them later. Or you might have a, a utility issue outside the, the stadium someplace that closes down a street or traffic is being rerouted to another another parking lot or a different way to the parking lot, which is going to delay the, the, the guests coming in. Or instead of having a higher concentration at, let's say, gate one, now that traffic is being routed closer to gate four. So where you would normally have let's say 15% of your crowd come in gate four, now you're going to 25% come in there. And so you have to be able to move staff to those locations in order to process that that, uh, that additional inf influx or ingress of guests coming to that location. So it's a dynamic um, event, uh, every event. Uh, no two events are the same. You could have a, a small theater show at a small theater seating 1,500 people that requires the same amount of attention uh, with less staff, less resources. You still apply the same techniques and the same theories and, and have the same uh, adaptability. Uh, one of the things that we learned a long, long time ago is to cross-train our staff in every dynamic that they may encounter. So while you might start at the gate as screening, uh, doing screening, you might get redeployed after your primary responsibility is to a an elevator landing on the third floor. And so at that location, you got to know what, what credentials can access the elevator, what tickets for that location. You might get redeployed to a field area, uh, field of play area. We have to check credentials and be aware of field intrusion. So we train everybody on the access control, the field intrusion, uh, the screening, uh, based crowd dynamics, emergency response, basic uh, reporting techniques. So we cross-train everybody. And when we do train staff, it's not a matter of just bringing them in and sitting them down and say, okay, here's a, here's a piece of paper. This is what your job role is. We have a, a very dynamic and robust training uh, program that has been approved by the Department of Homeland Security that gives us a certain amount of uh, protections in the event of uh, what would they be considered a terrorist event. So our new employee orientation, for example, everybody has to go through that and has to successfully complete it. So each of our training modules has a post-assessment test. So when you finish your, your course, you have to take this test to assure that you understand what we took what we talked about. In today's technology, you, you find a lot of people sitting in the back of the room texting or reading their Facebook page or the news or whatever it is on their phone. And if you don't pay attention, uh, you're not going to pass this course and you're either washed out, you're not allowed to participate as a, a member of CSC, or you can come back and take the, the course again. So our new employee orientation, which is just the basics of who CSE is and what we expect of you, that is a, a three-hour course. So there's a commitment by the employee in order to start working rather than just throw on that shirt and think they're going to come stand on the sidelines for the football game on Monday night. That's not going to happen. You go through the three-hour course of, of the new employee orientation, successfully complete that, then you come back to our guest set services training, which is another five-hour course, the post-assessment test. And then you go to our event screening specialist course, which is how to screen people on all the five uh, types of search, which is the visual uh, bag search, the limited pat-down search, the magnetometer search, and secondary screening. That is another five-hour course. And then if you want to take a, a, a train crowd manager course, that's an online course for five hours. We also have uh, courses from uh, DHS and FEMA on uh, national uh, incident management systems and event, uh, incident command systems 
himself, as well as a partnership with the Office of Bombing Prevention and how to uh, really do um, surveillance awareness, awareness of, of items being brought to facilities before they're even screened, uh, how to observe an individual that might be doing some kind of counter, counter surveillance, uh, why we're not law enforcement. We teach the basics of, of recognition of a person that would be uh, taking notes, drawing pictures, talking, asking in, uh, random questions that would not pertain to, to uh, what, why they're coming there, uh, such as uh, why do you do the screening this way? And what if I brought this type of uh, item? You know, things like that that, would, that should bring you aware of why they're asking those questions. And those cases that that does occur, we, we contact our law enforcement, our public safety officials immediately, and they can, they can take it from there. So we, we practice a lot of different things. We require a lot of different trainings. Uh, most states and entities require a security license, whereas that could be up to another 40 hours of a certified course, like in Florida's 40 hours. California, you start with eight, and then it builds up to 40. Uh, Texas is 10 hours, and, and each state is a little bit different. So we, we require a lot of training. Um, when you come to work for CSE, upon your initial application, we do a preliminary background check on you, a criminal background check, and then you do an interview, a personal one-on-one interview. We want to see if you have the ability to have interpersonal skills, how to problem solve with just random questions and, and examples of what what if or what would you do if this occurred. We want to see a, pe- a person's reaction, what the personality is, because you know we're, we're throwing them out to engage with uh, the, the public who may or may not know the policies and, and need those answers. And uh, we, we engage with over 50 million people a year at events. And so with our 70,000 roughly staff, that's a lot of engagement with the public and meeting their needs and making sure they're safe and making sure that we're all we're consistent in our message and our delivery. Uh, so that was, a long, that was a long answer to your question. I apologize. Is this, are they independent contractors or are they on the payroll? No, they're, they're paid uh, paid individuals. Everybody's paid. Uh, they go through our training. They get W-4, taxes withheld. Uh, we cover their workman's comp, their liability. Uh-huh. They, again, they have to successfully complete each course or they don't carry carry forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so your payroll is about how many people? About 70,000. Wow, and now during COVID? Well, that is, COVID has been a bit, a bit of a challenge. Uh, without events going on, we still are working in some venues where we provide 24-hour security at, at some uh, some arenas and some stadiums. Uh, we engage with a, a Bank of America uh, this year as well for their temporary assistance at the banks to monitor the number of persons coming into the bank, making sure that they had um, face covering, uh, watch their the, the telltale signs of, of sweating or coughs or that th- those type of things. And we've wor- worked close with, with Bank of America uh, and some of their delivery and um, just started also with Fifth Third Bank, Third Fifth, Fifth Third, I can never keep those two straight. Um, bank on the same thing and we're working with another bank uh, to start doing those services. We sort of, we work at Churchill Downs in Louisville and they began having training there about a month ago with their horses and trainers and then the following week they opened up to live racing without fans. And so we've been working at Churchill Downs in, in uh, an increased capacity versus zero for a few weeks and now that we see things are starting to loosen up a little bit, the sports leagues are still a little bit, um, I don't want to say quiet but I think probably still determining their path and how they're going to engage with guests and fans coming back into the stands. Uh, we know that the NBA is going to Orlando and Major League Soccer is going to go to Orlando to, to resume their play at the, the Disney Sports Complex there with no fans. It uh, looks like in early August that ML, uh, Major League Soccer will come back to their home stadiums, although that is not fully determined yet. It's going to be based upon the CDC recommendations and local health ordinances and, and recommendations as far as gatherings. But uh, we're, we're looking to, uh, to really re-engage. We've got a lot of people, as you might imagine, you kind of alluded to there, 
there that are chomping at the bit uh, to get back to work. We've tried to keep on as many possible people possible as we can. Our offices keeping them busy with doing whatever it is, the Bank of America jobs, the 24-hour jobs. Uh, we work at the University of Southern California, the ambassadors uh, out in the, the community, um, monitoring activities there. So we're keeping people busy at the, those locations. Uh, it has been a challenge. Uh, we stay engaged with our staff by doing simple things like online uh, bingo through Facebook, their branches, um, you know, questionnaires and, and uh, trivia uh, tests, uh, tr- trivia contests where we give away little prizes. You know, we'll go down to the local store and pick up some gift cards or, or our clients have been very generous in, in donating some hats, gloves, t-shirts, you know, merchandise from that reflect their their uh, who they are that we've given away too. So everybody understands that we're in this together and that uh, at the end of the day, when we do flip the switch and want everybody to come back, it's going to be a hard charge. And the more engagement we can, we can maintain now with our staff, the better chance of success we're going to have when we're ready to go. It's kind of amazing in a way because it's like if you correlate it between an artist and their fans, you're acting like you're the way you're keeping the employees engaged is kind of the same thing. Yeah, it is. You're right. Um, the artists are reaching out, like I mentioned, the drive-through movie theater, or I'm sorry, drive-through concerts uh, through their their podcasts, their web their web deliveries uh, on some of the the music stations, uh, TV music stations. They're reaching out to the fans and just doing whatever they can to stay engaged. As you know, as trying it as it is for the individuals, our staff. It's trying for them, um, just like the athletes and the, the, the artists, they want to be engaged with the fans because they, they know that that's where uh, the, their you know, their lifestyle comes from. Uh, they want to stay engaged with them, and, and again, when they're able to go back out on tour, uh, they want to have full houses, and they, they want to understand that people pay um, quality money. The individuals work hard for their money in order to buy a ticket, uh, You know, starting with the parking to the uh, event ticket, concessions. Of course, everybody wants to pick up a t-shirt or a program. By the time you're done, it's, it's a, a good chunk of change out of individuals' pockets. So uh, everybody that's involved wants to make sure that you get your money's worth and then some enjoyable experience you want to come back and spend that money again. So yeah, it is a, it is a broad scope of engagement and trying to maintain uh, um, that partnership and that involvement with everyone. One thing you mentioned a while ago, you said you're not law enforcement. So what is the, where is the, the dividing line between what you guys do and what a traditional police officer can do? You can't arrest somebody, but you have power. Do you have the legal power to hold people if they're unruly? And and I guess, where does that stand in the legality of what you can do versus any layman versus traditional law enforcement? Yeah, that, that is a really good question. And, and uh, just like there's a little bit of a gray area between guest services and, and security, there's like, it's a more defined role where we are hired to enforce, enforce policy, not enforce law. So when there's a, a violation of law, that's we have law enforcement engagement with that. So an example would be uh, a person who brings into the facility a firearm. Not only is that violation of policy, and while the law might say that you can you can, can you can carry a concealed weapon based upon a permit or open carry a, a firearm, then the building has the uh, ability to set their policies that don't necessarily supersede law, but it, it sets a policy for that venue. So you can walk around the outside of the venue all day long with your concealed weapon if you meet the state or local requirements or uh, a weapon on your hip. So you you mentioned something that was an unruly, uh, unruly fan or guest. Well, if they're just vocally unruly, uh, we issue warnings. Uh, at a certain point, we may ask them to to step away from their seat, and we would escort them to the, uh, to an exit, um, document their information, and a violation of whatever the, the the fan code of conduct is for that venue. You know, whether it's language, 
language, um, whether it's actions or threatening manners, uh, we would ask them to, to leave the facility and enjoy their time uh, next go-round. Confiscate their ticket and document that information. And some of the leagues actually have a policy where if you're evicted from the stadium for a violation of their fan code of conduct, then you have to participate in the fan code of conduct class and provide evidence of completion before you can get your, your ticket back, which is really very effective with uh, season ticket holders. And when you, you see in the aftermarket of season tickets holders selling their tickets, uh, they run a risk of if that person buys a ticket and becomes unruly and violates a policy, then you as a season ticket holder could, could lose those tickets. Now, there are certain instances as a, a, a act of violence, parties get an altercation, and we are the first to respond. Our policy is to uh, protect the persons around the two combatants by directing them away and moving them away, not physically, but moving them away, which they generally have done anyway, anyhow, uh, but then is also protect themselves and then separate the combatants by grasping an arm, grasping a waist, not a chokehold, not a not a full Nelson, not a wrestling movie you saw on TV, but separate the combatants uh, most generally, law enforcement will be at the location pretty much simultaneous or immediately thereafter, and they can have the rest powers. Now, if our uh, limit of rest powers is physical detainment, not the use of detainment uh, items such as handcuffs, zip ties, uh, uh, arm bars, stuff like that, it would be separate the combatants, keep them separated until law enforcement arrives, and, and then they can they can take it from there. In the event of like a field intrusion, a field of play intrusion onto a football field, baseball, a ballpark, we use a, a kind of a, a a collapsing method of multiple parties that are designated for the field intrusion uh, teams or fit teams. They can they converge on this subject in from four ways and kind of corral that individual until they can collapse on, upon them. I don't mean jump on them. I mean collapse upon them where the, the individual is no longer causing the threat. And uh, we, we escort them to law enforcement. The law enforcement will also respond and detain them in whatever manner they feel is appropriate. Our engagement with a, an unruly fan is limited and we're not there to enforce policy. We're not there to you know, square up toe to toe and see who the, who the bigger man is. We're there to protect the individuals, to protect themselves and, and get them separated as quickly as we possibly can so nobody become, uh, becomes injured. So a venue is kind of, I don't want to say juggling there. They have a mix of security like uh, provided by your company and then also police law enforcement there. So is there, is it a venue by venue? They understand what the ratio of police to security needs to be. How, how do they determine who they need and how many of each are needed? You know, they do. Uh, and that is a moving target. Uh, some municipalities state you have to have X number of, of law enforcement per number of patrons. Some venues say, okay, based upon our experience, we feel this is the appropriate number of law enforcement uh, due to what their job role is. And so it, it can be variable. And just as I mentioned, the changes that we have to remain and, and continue to be dynamic in our delivery, uh, public safety as well. So if you have a, an event at a, a coliseum uh, or stadium that has has 70,000 people in it for a, a football game on a Saturday afternoon versus a concert on a Wednesday night, you might have more uh, law enforcement versus that football game with the same number of patrons due to the fact, like I said, that uh, you have a crowd that's a little bit different. A crowd that doesn't normally come to an event, a crowd at a, some types of concerts might be a little bit more energy, more engaged, uh, more active. Uh, they could be in that that dynamic of uh, age area between you know 21 and 30 where they're a little bit more active in what they do, a little bit more daring versus a, a crowd that comes to a football game that is most of them are season ticket holders. They understand what they're doing. They, they don't cause much trouble. So the venue operator and the concert promoter uh, have to look at what the needs are, what the tradition and the intelligence shows as far as the, the crowd, uh, how they act, uh, where they come in. If it's going to be a drinking crowd, then obviously we have a little bit more law enforcement. Uh, if it's going to be a, a crowd that is mostly going to come into your seats, again, a, a sporting event where most of, most of them are season ticket holders, they have more understanding what the event is. So 
you may not need as much law enforcement. So it is a, it is a dynamic that, that changes, not only from event to event, venue for venue and, and day to day. So there, there are some municipalities that require X number of people, but most of them are just a coordinated effort between the venue operator, the promoter, uh, sometimes the teams, if that's the tenant and what we need. So there, there's it's a big change. It, it's always being uh, able to understand the needs and change with, the, with those uh, dynamics. Christine, do you have more? Yeah, Good. so um, one question I have is, you mentioned about the sporting events maybe starting back up, maybe with fans, without fans. Some of the policies that I've seen here in New Jersey, the one of the very last things that they're going to allow is large crowd events like concerts and festivals and things like that. They definitely don't want that many people getting together. How do you see that moving forward? Besides the drive-in concerts, do you see that any live performances? How do you see that moving forward? Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. We can develop all these plans for social distancing on the ingress at the gates of six foot spacing, which is recommended. Having our staff as well as guests wear, wear masks and protective outer layers. Once guests get in, inside the gates or inside the, the doors and head to their seats, there is absolutely no way you can keep social distancing fully effective. People are going to walk. They're going to go from point A to point B. Uh, they're going to brush up against each other. They're going to be within uh, six feet, whether they're staying in a concessions line, a bathroom, uh, going to their seats, waiting for the their ticket to be scanned, whatever it is. They're, they're, it's going to be, that's going to be the, the biggest challenge. Then uh, there's been ideas, okay, we're only going to allow guests in the 100 level to come in these gates at this time. That's great. But once the guest gets in the, in the facility, like I mentioned, what is going to prevent them from going to the concessions line or the bathroom? Nothing. And they, there shouldn't be. But then at the end of the night, you, you put all these plans into place on the ingress and getting people their seats and spread them out in their seats. Uh, at the end of the night, when people want to leave, they're going to get up and leave. You can tell, you can ask people, all right, everybody in this section, you know, section 101, wait until a section 100 is empty. Uh, you're going to get somebody sitting in that section who's had a couple alcoholic beverages and they're going to say, you know what? I'm not waiting. I'm getting up and leaving. Then what are you going to do with them? Do you, you're not going to throw them out because they're already leaving anyway. Are you going to um, revoke their season ticket? Well, that's not going to get you anywhere because that's you're just taking money away from yourself. But during the course of the event, you got a person that's sitting in the 300 level that would normally be in the 100 level, but because of the, the uh, reduction in patron and guest seating, now he's moved upstairs. He's not going to sit there. He says, you know what? I see that empty seat down there where I normally sit. I'm going to go down there and sit. So then what are you going to do? You're going to actually go down there and physically move them out of their seats? You know, it's not going to happen. So we've got to remain conscious of what's going on. And this is going to be a, a, not just a, a, uh, an effort by the event promoter and groups like ourselves. It's going to be a big effort by the guests. The guests understanding what's at stake. And if there is a, a spike in cases and it's all traced back to uh, an event at a, a specific stadium or, or arena, that's what's going to happen. That venue, that event, and that arena, and that sport is going to be stepped back and it's going to be no fans or they're going to be you know, restricted completely. So it's going to take as much effort, maybe even more, by the the guests and understanding that this is a group effort. And when they come to the events, uh, respect your fellow, you know, your fellow man, just like you would before with uh, your language and the accommodation of saying hello and, you know, that the friendly uh, banter back and forth between teams, you know, there's an easy way to, to cheer, cheer for your team without using vulgar language or, or casting insults at either the players or another uh, a fan of another uh, of the opposing team. You'll get in there and have fun, but respect your fellow man. Um, if if the, the requirement by the stadium or the venue operator is that you wear a mask, wear your mask. Okay? It's that simple. Yeah, it, if you don't want to, then don't go. Um, I think that the key to to um, the successes of our society through entertainment events is going to be the fan themselves. Uh, if they want to enjoy the, the experience and keep the experience, not only for today, but in the future, we've got these guidelines we need to follow. And just like it's a stay-at-home order uh, and you can't go to restaurants, restaurants and, and uh, other facilities are open up with limited capacity with certain restrictions. Well, if that's what it's going to take, then that's what it's going to take. But it's only going to get better if we all buy into it and we all follow. Have you handled uh, 
any of the protest movement? Uh, we have not. We have not. Um, we've been asked to, to, like I mentioned, University of Southern California, USC. Uh, we've been asked to put a few more people out on the streets there in order to provide guidance and ideas and, and be eyes and ears of what's going on. That was not most, uh, it wasn't specific to the civil unrest, but more so more people in the downtown LA area, close to the campus, that we have more people transitioning through the campus that may, may or may not be lost or in direction. So more eyes and ears in our part to provide more ambassador service to enhance what we are doing. I have one last question. So you've been in a management position for a long time now. So this is an MBA program. And if you had one piece of advice to give someone who was heading into a management position as a manager yourself, what would that be? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. I'm glad that you asked that. Um, we get we have an internship training program where we interview up to 30 interns twice a year to come on board with us and complete their internship program. And upon the successful completion of that, if uh, it's a mutual agreement that we'd like them to continue, we offer them a trainee position. I would say that get in the weeds and understand what goes on at the, at the base level. Uh, one of the, the things that I most enjoy about my job, and I mentioned early on, is the people. I still go out to events. I don't do as much coordination with the events as I used to because I don't need to. We've got a lot of great managers that know what to do. I still like going out to the events and getting side by side with our employees, our team members, to see what they go through, to understand what the challenges that, that exist and what we ask them to, to do. So if we have this five-hour event screener training program and we say do X, Y, Z, and they're going out to the events and they're, they're experiencing something that is challenging that we ask them to do. And they they provide a an, they offer a solution to make it better. I need to see that. and I need to listen to it. Uh, years ago, I was fortunate enough to go to a Disney Institute training class, and one of the instructors gave the example of Walt Disney when he was alive. He used to live uh, in an apartment above the general store at Disneyland. And one morning, he was out on his uh, his balcony watching the, the crew get ready for the opening of the park, like he normally does. He was out there in his robe and his slippers and having a cup of coffee and reading the newspaper. And he called up uh, one of the, the the maintenance staff that were down cleaning. He called him up to the the balcony to talk to him, and so. So one of uh, the Disney managers saw this and ran upstairs real quick and said, Walt, Walt, what's the matter? What, what's going on? Can I help you with something? Walt's well, like, no, we're fine. He goes, well, you know, this this gentleman, this team, this cast member is trying to get the park ready. Is there something I can help you with? And Walt's response was, no, I just want to talk to him and get his feeling because you never know where the next best idea is going to come from. And that is very true. Now, I can write all the training programs and post orders and guidelines I want, but if the, uh, if the person out there delivering the service that we expect them to do the job doesn't understand what the objective is or how to get there or if we're creating something that they can't do, they have a better idea. I need to listen to it. I need to see what they're going through so we can continue to get better and be uh, be the leader in what we do. Uh, we consider ourselves a leader in crowd management, and that's why. We have those those training programs I mentioned. We remain contemporary with what the event is uh, needs are, what the dynamics of the crowd is, what our staff need. And uh, we have our external client, which is the guests that come to the event. We have our internal client, which is our staff that are actually delivering the service. And we've got to take care of both of them because if we don't take care of our team, our team's not going to take care of yours. So I would my biggest suggestion is uh, in your program, if you want to get involved in management level, get down in the grassroots, down and get down and dirty, understand what goes on on the front line so you can be a better manager. Mm-hmm. I, I find it interesting, I just as, as you're talking, because you guys in, in your position, you're kind of dealing with two things. You're dealing with terrorism, the prevention of terrorism, whether it's, you know, Manchester uh, in, in England with the Ariana Grande concert or uh, Vegas or even a, a VIP uh, one-on-one where um, there was a girl from The Voice who was shot a few years ago. Then there's also, I go back when I was a kid, I remember, I think it was, I was in like fifth grade and there was a Who concert in Cincinnati in 1979 right. and um, 11 people got trampled because they opened only one set of doors at, I don't think it was Riverfront Stadium. Uh, it was an arena, I think in Cincinnati. 11 people got trampled for general admission seating. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so you're looking at everything. 
you know, uh, and, and maybe you can take a sec to go over how you're, you're doing the planning. If I was a terrorist, this is what I do. So let's get rid of this, move this here, that kind of thing. And if I was a crazy fan or just knowing how fans act, because you're sort of an anthropologist at the same time, you're saying we need to have more doors open. We need to have more egress and what's the opposite of egress? Open. Egress. Egress and egress. Yes. I'm, I'm impressed with your egress and that. <laughs> but, you know, so, so you're looking at, at all that stuff and, and, and you know, you're kind of juggling in your head that because no matter what, you guys have to be proactive. Yeah, you're right. Nothing replaces experience. We can stand up and, and use professor, sir. You, you understand that you you, you talk to your your, um, your class members, your students, you give them these items to read, you ask them to do do certain tasks and do certain programs and planning, but there's nothing nothing to replace experience. You know, when you first learned how to drive your car, you were scared, you didn't know what to do, you're, you're ultra observant, and now it's second nature. So we take the experience that we have, not only the, third, the, the 33 years that I have, which is pretty fairly significant in our company, but we've got people that have been around for 40 or 40 years, our owner has been around for 53 years, and you work to identify what those needs are. So you mentioned the Who concert in 1979. That was a learning experience for the entire industry. After, immediately following that, and, and I didn't work in the industry then, um, immediately following that, there was a ban on general mission seating. Uh, you couldn't do general mission seating, and, and Cincinnati did not host another con- uh, concert at that arena for several years. After 9-11, as I mentioned, there was a different delivery and, and screening um, set up on how you screen persons coming in. After Ariana Grande in Manchester uh, had... Uh, we were contacted by uh, DHS to uh, review the report and the findings, the preliminary report, and make uh, our suggestions, which we did. And there were certain factors in there that we've made recommendations to that have applied to events moving forward. Um, Route 91, that was a, an extreme anomaly. Um, you know, there's that's still ongoing cases. So there, there's some things that are still behind the curtains that have to be resolved on that. But with each experience, uh, we gather more uh, information on how we uh, can apply our techniques. Chris mentioned early on that we were, uh, that myself and, and another uh, team member of mine were fortunate enough to participate in writing best practices uh, for different sports leagues and what general practices are. And, and every building is different. Every crowd is different. Every event is different. So the best practices are a good outline on if you take these steps, you're most likely going to be successful, meaning 99.9% successful. And that other 0.1% is making the change in the course of the event based upon what you see, you observe, and what your experience is that could, could happen from that observation. So if I were to go back to 1979 to the WHO concert, based upon what I know now, there would be certain queue lines uh, set up outside the venue, which we've adopted for other concerts moving forward, and we block off the amount of people. So you'll set up basically pens, if you will, of let's say 100 people that can come in these three doors, and then you pre-screen those 100 people, you load them into this this, this uh, pen, this queue, line, queue area. When you open the doors, you scan their tickets, those 100 go in, and then you move in the next 100 there, and you build you know, four, five, six, 10 shoots, blocks of, of 100 people, so you can move them in a controlled manner and from this location, this location, this location, in order to prevent those those scenarios and those occurrences like happened in Cincinnati where everybody was rushing because uh, they had a general mission ticket to get down to the floor first so they could be the, the first person in the front of the stage in the middle of the stage to see Pete Townsend you know, bash the, the, the guitar on the stage. So they were in a hurry. Uh, they didn't. They, they were more, that crowd was at a dynamic of being in a hurry to get the best seat. Um, now we've, we've instituted ways to, to mitigate that and hopefully prevent it. Uh, you're still going to get some bumps and some scrapes and some uh, unfortunate occasion where you get a broken bone. Very rare anything more serious than that on a, on a general mission crowd.
crowd. We set up things like that to, to help with the ingress. Then on the floor or the, the seating area, the, the general mission area, you put in certain barricade to limit the number of people from the stage to, the, to 100 feet back or 10 feet back or whatever that case might be. You can set up in a way with Vs so there's not a certain uh, pressure point right in the middle. You, know, you spread out that pressure to a different angle across that barricade. You can put in blocks of, uh, of a dead area, a dead space within this, that, that floor, whether it's a stadium or arena, so you don't get that many people down uh, into the floor. Uh, since that time, the uh, National Fire Protective Association, NFPA, has come up with certain guidelines on the amount of people that can be in a restricted area. And so the general rule is seven square feet per person. So when you have, you have 10,000 square feet on a, on a floor, you divide that by seven, that's how many people you can you can put down in that location. And usually if it's, I don't know the numbers, I'm not quick at math in my head, but let's say it's 10,000 people. Well, then the promoter will come back and say, well, we're only going to put 9,500 down there because we want that extra space, but we also want to reserve some space for trouble seats. And then you take into the, the consideration for persons with disabilities where you, you need to put them in a location where they're safe and they require a little bit of extra space as well. So you have all, a lot of these things that go into the, these considerations and, and all of it really generates from experience. And just like anything, when you have a negative experience, we learn from it. We've got to learn from our positive experiences as well and apply those techniques and those ideas and those successes in a way that's going to continue to be successful across the world. I was uh, part of that corralling when I took my daughter, I think she was about nine, and we went to see the Thanksgiving Day parade blow-ups of the floats the night before. And the way the police had you corralled for blocks before you even got to it. And then when you got finally got to the blowing up part, you had to keep moving. Uh, but it was it was so interesting that you could almost touch another thousand people, but you couldn't get to them because of the barricades and so on. And they had the thing flowing very nicely. Yeah, and again, that comes from experience. And, uh, you know, NYPD is very good at what they do with uh, crowds. You know, not only have the Thanksgiving Day Parade, but they just have special events around that city all the time. The Marathon, uh, the U.S. Open, uh, sure. just on and on. So they're, they're busy all the time, and they, they use their knowledge and their experience in a very successful manner. Yeah. Uh, but, and by the way, just to put, I, I just remember this, and I just looked it up, to put sort of a uh, period on that discussion about uh, Cincinnati. It was R Riverfront Coliseum in 79. The Who were supposed to return there this year, April 23rd, for the first time since that, yeah. 40 years later. And um, I just found an article, and obviously that concert got canceled because of COVID, but uh, they were actually going to go back for the first time to Cincinnati, uh, which I find kind of interesting that long before they went back. Yeah, it is interesting, and, and uh, I hope that they do make it back there. Uh, they, they're great performers, great entertainers, and, you know, again, we've learned a lot in those 40 years. It would certainly be a much safer environment today, even given uh, the fact that they're 40 years older. Um, you're probably going to get some of those people that, that went to that original concert 40 years ago return and they're going to bring their kids and they're going to have a good experience so yeah. you know, it's a learning experience by everybody and hopefully an enjoyable one when they return i think the whole uh, general admission seating area will be for uh for wheelchairs and people with walkers <laughs> good, good chance yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, we need to end this Dr. Stabon, did you have one more thing? Yeah, there was another one, uh, an early rap up in the Bronx, and I think it was at Bronx College or something. It was a staircase, and they waited in the staircase for the doors to open, and the doors opened in, not out. And I think four people died because they, people had no idea two, two stories up on the staircases that they were squashing people, and the people, and they couldn't give them any room. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, I, I'm not familiar with that one, but that, you, you made me think of something that uh, communication is very important. You know, telling the crowd what's going on outside the venue. They were going to open the doors in, in 15 minutes. Please you know, uh, have your bags open, maintain uh, your distance. Um, we're going to pace the crowd, whether it's the 
pins that I mentioned, or even the, the screening points. The, one of the other part, the great things about the screening points with technology is it allows us to pace the crowd coming in. So we can control the flow at the ingress point of screening. So we can slow down the screening. If our ticket taker is getting backed up or the concourse is getting full, we can actually pace the screening out at the initial point of contact to keep that, that larger crowd outside the venue and not, not allow this gathering and, and this high concentration of people in a certain location. So we've had some good good opportunity to do different things like that with uh, pacing the crowd. Actually, one more um, that, that kind of ties into the, the, the doors opening in. Uh, a few years ago, uh, there was a, a, a rapper named Troy Ave who went to Irving Plaza in New York City and he brought a gun with him and he went in through the artist entrance, through the back yeah. entrance and got in because there was no metal detector or anything for the artists there. There was in the front for the audience, but not for the artists. He was able to get in and he uh, shot somebody and I think he's in jail right now. But that's sort of another thing almost where you don't think about, oh yeah, the, the artists might be be a threat as well. Yeah, we've uh, the insider threat is just as much of a threat as the as the, the person coming to the event. So when we, the sports league's been very good about mandating and requiring anybody who comes to the venue, whether it's an employee, an athlete, an artist, to go through a screening process. Now there, there's uh, certain times requests, uh, mostly from, from artists, uh, music artists, of not to have to go through the screening. So you, you modify it a little bit or you do it in a, in a closed area so that uh, passerby or somebody from the media is not watching what's going on. But the leagues have been very good about mandating that everybody comes in the facility, go through screening, and the venue operator has been quick to adopt that and so or adapt to that. So it, uh, you know, basically, I'm not familiar with the case that you mentioned, but I would probably guess that if that were to, uh, that would not occur today uh, due to best practices and requirements by venues, uh, using probably that one and others uh, very similar to that as a, a basis for doing this type of uh, a screening for everybody that comes in. We want to make sure that everybody is safe, not just not just the person buying the ticket, not just the athlete, but everybody. Everybody's got to be safe when they, they come to the venue and then we want them to leave it at the end of the day. Oh, great. Well, this was a very safe interview, I think. I don't think any uh, humans or, or animals got hurt during this interview at all. So we are tip our caps to you, Mark. Well, thank, thank you. you. You kept us safe during the interview. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And uh, <laughs> it's the, the, the uh, virtual interviews are always possible to, to make things even safer. <laughs> that, that's right. So very, very, not much fisticuffs. Uh, Christine, yeah. thank you very much for, for bringing us Mark Glazer today. It was very wonderful of you. All right. Yes. So, so Mark, we want to thank you. I'm clapping my hands for you. It was very interesting. It was very good to have you. Well, thank you. Um, we will let you know when this uh, goes on the air and the podcast is up and you can share it with all your friends and all your buddies in the uh, Contemporary Services Company and all 16,000 of the people and more will all listen to it and it'll be our biggest podcast ever. So thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Everybody have a safe week uh, Week, and uh, look forward to hearing from you. Take care. Take care. Thanks. Bye, Mark. Bye. So there we go. That was a good one, Dr. Stavon. Did you not think? Yes, yeah, very good. My, my daughter had, uh, I think she was a senior in high school and she did uh, the balloon festival parking cars she did uh, Rutgers football game she did the Trump thing in Bedminster uh, all you know per diem being paid uh, but you know she was subject to a lot of like when there was a big traffic jam at the balloon festival and she got orders that they have to go that way you know have to go that way and she got cursed at and so on you know <laughs> this is little kid uh, doing this and uh, uh, so she got into the weeds I guess as he's saying 
there, you know. So, but it's, uh, you know, it's extremely important. There's no other way to say it. I mean, many people can get uh, killed. Not, you don't even realize it, you know. Yeah, very serious business. Yeah. So, Christine, thank you again. We want to give you a big hand, Christine. Thank you. Christine Welsh brought Mark Glazer. Get that MBA. Make that MBA count. Stay cool. Yes, Dr. Yeah. Stepan. Thank you very much. At the end of every show, just, just say, Dr. Stepan, what do we do at the end of every show? What do we say? Have you done? No, we say hello. No, we don't say hello. That'd be silly. Instead, we say adios. 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 Situation, you're losing hope, I'm losing patience.